You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. You may be seated. You can open your Bibles to John 21. Is it that passage has been read for us already here this morning? And and uh, no doubt you grew up. Um, with these words in mind, you probably heard them from your parents hearing this, this statement, and maybe you can finish it for me. Breakfast is the most, most important meal of the day. You would hear grandma or mom or dad or grandpa. You would hear someone say that. Maybe your school teacher saying that. They want you sharp and alert and to be well-fed in the morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I like a good breakfast meal. Uh, in my younger days, in particular, I love to go out for breakfast, and, uh, and breakfast can be a glorious meal. Eggs and bacon and sausage and, and uh, eggs benedict and bacon and, and pancakes and waffles and bacon and omelets and, and toast and peanut butter and bacon and jam. And, and, and recently, we've discovered breakfast poutine, and oh, or as they say in Quebec, breakfast poutine. And, and, you know, it's such a good thing, you know, oh, it's so good. And, and Charlotte makes this great baked oatmeal for the health, uh, heart-happy types, you know, to be able to keep that going. So many different options, breakfast sandwiches. In fact, did you know that Perks makes um, some great breakfast sandwiches, and we're so thankful for them. And in fact, to just kind of reward some of you that are sitting out for, out, yeah, you might have to just play with this mic, sorry, I'm not supposed to leave. But here are some gift cards for perks and, and for you to enjoy, oh, that one, I guess it's yours, for you to enjoy a breakfast sandwich, it's good catch, and, and for you to enjoy that. We're so thankful for their willingness to come here, and, and, uh, and, and, and so anyways, breakfast is such a great thing. Charlotte's and mine, one of our very first dates, our very first date actually was over breakfast. It was shortly after the electric potato masher incident that I told you about a number of weeks ago that we ended up going for breakfast, and it was our first date. And you know what was the best thing about it? I didn't even have to pay for it. She did. Now, I've been paying for it ever since, but you know, and especially for that comment, but, but oh, those were the days, those 1990s. I mean, just such good days, you know, where where, yeah, you'd have your first date paid for by the other person. You know, so beautiful. Anyways, breakfast is an awesome, awesome time. And, tomorrow, and this morning we're talking about breakfast on the beach. And, and I don't know if you've ever had breakfast on the beach. That can be a glorious thing when you're on a holiday somewhere and there's fruit and there's bacon and there's eggs and there's bacon for you to enjoy. Just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Well, in John chapter 21, Peter and the six disciples are having this amazing, amazing breakfast on the beach. And, 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 and yet there's some awkwardness about it. And last week we saw that it all started with a miraculous catch of fish. And as they got to shore, Jesus, he had a fire going for them. Some fish were already frying on the fire as well as he had some bread. He was serving them breakfast. And he served them this breakfast, but it was kind of an awkward breakfast. I don't know if you've ever had one of those awkward breakfasts where there's kind of a lot of silence and some relational tension kind of going on. And, and you see, all of the disciples that were there and, and all of these, any of the followers of Jesus all fled. They abandoned all of these tough, rough disciples that had been following him for the last three and a half years. They abandoned Jesus. 
on the night that he was crucified. And so finally, in verse 15, Jesus breaks the silence. And I'm going to read once again in, in verse 15. And it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to, this, said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, here are three things we can observe and we can learn from this breakfast on the beach. This breakfast changed Peter and changed the disciples from failures to faithful followers and proclaimers of Christ. And the first observation we see here, you see it in your notes, you'll see it at the bottom of the screen online, and some of you and some of us may be thinking along these lines, and, uh, and, and this is just a firm reality. We will all fail Jesus and others miserably. Get over yourself. We will all fail. We will all fail Jesus, and we will fail others around us, and we'll fail miserably at times, Get over it. Get over yourself. Quit, quit allowing and wallowing in self-pity and failure and defeat. There will be times for each one of us that our faith will be firm and solid and, and just on fire. And then there's going to be times where it's going to be flimsy and our faith is going to falter. And some of us may even be thinking right now, I've made up my mind for Jesus. I'm all in. I'm, 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 I'm going to faithfully follow him to the better end. No matter what comes, here I stand, I can do no other, and we may have that kind of a commitment. And others of you may be even thinking right now, I've let Jesus down. I've messed up. I've messed up. Life was hard. Temptation was strong. Decisions were complicated, and I failed, and now I don't know where I stand. And maybe it's your heart today, I really love Jesus, I really do, but I wish I were stronger. I wish I was a stronger follower of Christ. Now, both of these mentalities, being firm in the faith as well as flimsy, are, are, are both good and right, because, but they can also be very bad and they can also be very wrong. You see, for all followers of Christ, there will be seasons of strength and victory, but there's also going to be seasons of weakness, discouragement, and defeat. And the key to longevity, if you're in it for the long haul, and I hope you are, if you're in it for the long haul, it's to see it's to see and to understand and deal with personal failure between us and the Lord as well as personal failure between us and one another. And this is such a key to longevity, to a, a joyful, strength, God-honoring life. Because no matter how serious, how committed, how earnest we are in our relationship with Christ, we're all going to fall short. When it comes to Christ-likeness, we're all going to fall short in our relationship with Christ and with others. We just will. We've got to get over that fact. And we need to know how to handle the failure so we don't become casualties of a drifting away from God and a drifting away from others. And so this passage is so perfect for us here today. The Peter we're seeing in John 21 here at the start, anyways, of this is, is a very weak Peter probably at one of the lowest points of his life. Have you ever been at a low point in your life? I'm sure we all have. And sadly, there's probably going to be for each one of us future lower points. 
And how do we get out of it? How did Peter get out of this? Peter had failed the Lord in a catastrophic way with his three denials. This happened a few months or a few weeks earlier, just before Jesus was crucified. He stood before the others. He stood before Jesus emphatically declared, I will never, I will never abandon you, Jesus. I'm in. When everything was on the line, though, Peter failed. He turtled. He denied. He fled. Such a failure. How could I ever be trusted again? I'm sure he's thinking. Is he finished with me? Is God finished with me? Some of you may be thinking that today. Maybe God is, you've just kind of crossed certain lines in your mind, in your thinking, in your attitudes, in your actions. And you think maybe God is, is done with me. And today, I believe for each one of us, either we need to pull yourself down from the perch of self-confidence, thinking I've got this, I've got this figured out, or emerge from the valley of defeat. And we all need to have a talk with Jesus. Just as Peter had a talk with Jesus on the beach, so do we. Listen, God has too much grace. God is filled with so much and too much grace that he will never allow failure to have the last say in your life if you allow him. If you allow his grace to change you, not only save you, but to continue to change you, failure of whatever sort it might be will never have the last say. God's grace will have that final say. And here is the good news today. You can get going again. Not because you are so strong, but because God, he knows everything. Jesus knows everything about you, and he still wants you. He still has a great plan for you, for your life. Jesus is really good at turning cowards and failures into overcomers. So get over yourself. We will all fail. We will fail Jesus and we will fail others miserably. And here's the second observation we see. Jesus desires to restore thoroughly. So humble yourself. We need to humble ourselves because Jesus desires to restore thoroughly. But the only way he can do that is if we are ready and willing to humble ourselves before him before others. On the beach that morning, it seems that there was this awkward silence. Nothing was recorded over the breakfast meal. It was just one of those awkward silence kind of events, it would seem, because they had all fled. They had all denied. And just as Jesus has predicted, he even told them, he says, you're all going to deny me. You're all going to flee. And they're like, and, and Peter, especially in verse 15, we see here Jesus saying, Jesus said to Peter, son of John, and he gets all official here. He doesn't just call him, he doesn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon, son of John. And kids, just so you know, when your parents say your full name, you know you're in trouble. You know that you better watch out. I remember as a kid when I would hear Meldon, Harold, Lutzer, it was my heart started beating like, what did I do? Or they, I got caught. You know, it was one or the other. And so, you know, your heart starts beating. You kind of gulp and you're like, oh no. And your face turns red. Well, here's Jesus, Simon, son of John, in front of all the others, he calls him out. Now, we are told in 1 Corinthians 15 that on Resurrection Sunday that Jesus appeared to Peter, that he appeared individually to Peter. And, and it is there, it is believed that Jesus and Peter repaired their relationship privately. But now Jesus is calling Peter out publicly in front of others. And why does Jesus do this? I mean, wasn't that taken care of on Resurrection Sunday? Shouldn't this be a closed-door conversation? You see, even for us today, as followers of Jesus, most of our conversations and confessions are private between us and the Lord. That's the way it's meant to be. 
And we must first always, 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 whatever it is that we do, we must always first confess our sin to God because all sin is first and foremost supremely against God. And the Holy Spirit is grieved when we sin. And our relationship with God, however, is hindered and it is strained when we have this distance between us and between God because of our sin. And that's where 1 John 1, 9 is such a beautiful verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just, and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful statement in God's word. And we run to this and we, 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 we understand though that this word confess, it says if we confess our sins, it isn't just like, whoops, did it again. Sorry, Lord. You know, it's just me. And we give him a little cutesy face. And that can, no, it, it, this is confession means with a humility and a brokenness, understanding with repentance, even that it is our desire to turn from it because we understand that it's sin like this that put Jesus on the cross. And then we ask him to forgive us and we receive his forgiveness and he graciously offers it again and again. And so these are the private conversations. And no doubt Peter had this private conversation with the Lord. But now Jesus takes it and he makes it public. He calls him out publicly. And we see in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. You see, Peter's denial and failure to follow wasn't just a personal issue between him and Jesus. Peter's personal failure, it leaked over into the relationship with the other disciples. And sin oftentimes does this. We don't sin silently or just secretly. Our sin, no matter what it is, has an effect on those around us. It bleeds over into other relationships and can have a, a, from a minor to a profound effect on those around us, whether those are sins of omission, things we've said or th and, and things we've done or things that we should have and, and didn't say or didn't do and we knew that it was the right thing to do, but we didn't. And Jesus addresses Peter in verse 15 and he says, and this is where we know it gets so personal with the other disciples. He says, do you love me more than these? And no doubt Jesus is pointing to the other disciples that are there. Because here, Peter, just a few weeks ago, just after the Lord's Supper, Jesus said to Peter and all the disciples that they would fall away one day out of concern for their own personal safety. And Jesus said, you, got, you guys are all going to run. And Peter's like, no, I'm not. Uh-uh, uh-uh. And then he says, the others will. They might do it, but me? No way. Loudmouth, confident Peter, these guys might bail, but I will die with you if necessary. No way is this going to happen. And in saying this, that night he was throwing the others under the bus. Peter greatly disrespected and devalued the other disciples. He was so filled with so much pride and self-confidence in himself. Wouldn't surprise me, Lord, if all of these guys bailed. But Jesus, you can count on me. We cannot truly love Jesus and be used for his glory if we have a swagger towards others or if there's a relational strain between, because of sin towards one another. And here in these verses, we see a very humble Peter now. We see a humbled Peter and, 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 and some restoration and some humility needed to happen in this relationship for them to press on together. And it needs to happen in our own lives as well. And, and the restoration that Jesus had here for Peter involved these three questions. 
Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? To correspond, it would seem, with those three denials. Jesus gave him an opportunity to overwhelm each one of those denials with a statement and confession of love. And by the time that he gets to that third question, look at verse 17. It says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I do love you. He knew what he was thinking. He says, yes, Lord, I know that you love me, but I've treated you like dirt. I'm shaken and I'm broken. I'm broken to the core of my being. You know, Peter's love can be a lot like ours, right? Sincere, but wobbly. But Jesus, he can take and work with a sincere and a wobbly faith because he can work with any one of us. And Jesus knew that with what was coming for Peter and for the other disciples, that indeed they needed in the weeks and months and years ahead, it was vital that their relationship be restored and united together as one. I mean, just turn over the very next page in your Bible from John 21 to what? The book of Acts. And we see a restored Peter. We see, we see restored disciples in relationship back with Jesus, once again, now the ascended Jesus, but in relationship with him, their relationship all good, and now their relationship with one another being restored, we see together as you read the book of Acts that they changed and turned the world upside down. That together, in the power of prayer, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the unity of mind and spirit, together they turned the world upside down sharing the good news, the saving grace of Jesus Christ, restoring people back into a relationship that they had been created for and, and growing and building and establishing churches. And that ripple effect of that restoration, of that talk on the beach can be felt even today as the church of Jesus Christ continues on. That ripple effect of that restoration, being right with Jesus, being right with those around us and going in the power of the Holy Spirit, experiencing his power in his presence. And so, yes, restoration, 1 John 1, 9, between us and the Lord is absolutely necessary in order for us to have a restored relationship, a relationship of closeness and intimacy with God. But we must also examine our words and our deeds and our actions or our lack of words and deeds and actions. Have we hurt? Have we affected others? If so, we need to ask for forgiveness. We need to make things right with others. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another. Why? So that healing can happen, so that there can be healing. And the reality is, if you walk with the Lord for even just a little time, if you're part of a family, a blood family, if you're part of a church family, in your workplace, wherever you are, you're going to rub people and they're going to rub you and there's going to need to be forgiveness that needs to happen. And relationships need to be restored. We can't expect from perfection from anyone except from God, saying the words, please forgive me, I'm sorry. That's not weakness, that's actually strength. When we humble ourselves in that way, oh, it can be hard. It can feel like having lemon juice in your mouth and it's just, yeah, that is difficult to say because it feels like we're losing to humble ourselves. But you know what it is? It's a win, it's winning. 
And some of the closest friendships will be on the other side of that kind of a relational blowout. When there's a blowout and then there's restoration, there can be such a beautiful working of God in those lives and in that relationship. There's a new depth and a new respect and a love that grows when we humble ourselves. And you know, Hope Bible Church, I believe that the church of Jesus Christ as you look at what's going on in some of the reading I've been doing this summer and hope to continue on over the next number of weeks, I believe very much that our, our church and our society, we're heading into some very interesting and potentially difficult days. When we look at the state of society in our world and the disasters that are going on, even in Haiti, the natural disasters, the wildfires that we're seeing, and all the other unrest, things happening in Afghanistan politically, economically, covidly, we're seeing all of these things happen, and we need to understand, and, and, and even for me, I've never been more concerned and saddened with all that's going on. I've never been more concerned and saddened by the state of the church of Jesus Christ in our day. But you know what? I've also never been more excited and hopeful about what can happen. Not so much in society, first and foremost, but what can happen first and foremost in the church. And when the power of God moves in the hearts of God's people and we change and we restore and we are in right relationship with God, we are in right relationships with one another. We're in right relationships with those outside of, of, of these church walls, I guess you could say. There's power. People start saying, hey, there's something about this. Tell me about this Jesus. And I believe that as we unite in prayer, in mission, in the Spirit's power, examining and rearranging our lives around the call of God. And, and, and this is where I believe we're heading towards this fall as a church as we look at the cost of what does it mean to truly follow Jesus Christ? Done with consumer church. Done with just checkmark church. What does it mean to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ? One who will and can endure to the end come what may. And as we unite together in unity, in a love for God and love for others, I believe God will have some exciting days in store. Not easy days, but exciting nonetheless. But you know, one of the greatest hindrances to the work of God isn't going to come from government mandates, not from economic ruin. It's not going to come from progressive socialist activists. That's not where the greatest threats are going to come or in a nation that slides into areas of socialism that we are seeing. Is an election being called today? Going to be a very interesting time for our nation. The greatest hindrance, though, isn't any, in any of these things. The greatest hindrance to the work of God will happen here, from within us, from among us. God's spirit and his work is greatly hindered, in fact, snuffed out, when there are broken relationships between us and God because of our sin and unwillingness to repent and us between us and others. And let's face it, the last 16, 17 months has brought so much division between families and workplaces, schools, society, and the church. Huge division. If you were to say, no, nope, no division at all. Everyone sees everything just like I do in my little circle, I'm good. You're lying if that's the case because we've all been affected and we're all really quite strong, I, I, I'm finding out, in our convictions, in our judgments, in our frustrations, 
And often, sadly, we're quite strong with our tongues. And honestly, hear me out, and this is just, as I've been trying to piece this all together, I think so much is all based in fear. We're all struggling in areas of fear. Fear of a virus, fear of the sickness, fear of death, fear of concern about the danger of lockdowns and isolations, fear and concern about government mandates and agenda, and what is happening behind the scenes. And yes, we should be concerned, but, but as believers in Jesus Christ, with God who is for us, we do not have to fear. We can be concerned and sound the alarm bells and we do what we can. But at the end of the day, we, re, we unite around the mission of the gospel. And as a result of all of this that's been going on, there's so much division and we're all experiencing it. I think we've all been told, or we've all been judged, if you want to say it, you're crazy for believing what you believe for not doing what you should be doing or not doing or whatever it might be. We've all have been facing that, regardless of where you stand. And this has happened in conversations we have, in text messages, in chats, in social media, through gossip and slander. So divisive. Sides drawn, division happening, bitterness, roots of bitterness getting planted very firmly, and that's not good. Romans 12, 18 says, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Let's unite around Jesus, the gospel and the mission that we've been called to in his name. Despite our differences, despite your involvements to, to try to bring change to society, I think that in and out of this, we need people who are going to work with or stand against and, and, and even run in, in areas of politics. We need Christian godly people to stand up in, in various ways, wherever that might be. In, in what we're seeing in, in areas of, of uh, just gender and, and various things going on, we've, we've got to be that concerned. We've got to pray and, and, and we've got to lobby our politicians in various ways. But despite our differences, we need to know that no matter what, that Jesus is here to restore. But we must humble ourselves. Jesus can and will restore any life but we must humble ourselves before him and before others and our third observation it says as we stay the course and follow jesus he will one day welcome us home triumphantly so offer yourself let me say that again as we stay the course and we follow jesus he will one day welcome us home triumphantly so offer yourself Offer yourself to him. From our text today, we see three questions from Jesus to Peter. Those are three questions to us. Do we love him? Do we love him? Do we love him? We see three responses from Peter. You know that I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. But we also see three commands that Jesus gives to Peter and three commands for us as well as his followers. Look what he says to him. He says, Peter, if you do love me, Here's, here's how it's going to show. It's not going to just be your mouth. It's not going to be lip service. It's going to show, verse 15, then feed my lambs. Verse 16, then tend my sheep. Verse 17, again, feed my lambs. And it's so easy to say this. I love Jesus. But Jesus tells us the way that we just don't say it, but the way that we mean it is by feeding and tending one another in the body of Christ. We feed one another with the word of God. 
God's word strengthens. It, 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 it exposes sin. It points us out to what is right and what is wrong. It equips us. It matures us. And we need to be growing in God's word and then giving his word to others, sharing that, encouraging it. The boot camp that I'm a part of daily, many times throughout the day, there's, there's not a lot, there's not the politics or stuff going on, prayer requests for one another. But the greatest thing that's been happening has been washing one another in the word of God, sharing scripture verses. And this is how we feed one another in the word of God. And Jesus says, feed Feed my lambs, feed my little lambs. That's what's happening right now. We need people feeding the lambs, the little lambs, the little children. They need to be brought up in the love of God, in the, in the strength and the power of the word of God to know that everything else is shifting sand. But the word of God is a solid rock. We need to be feeding our, our, our little lambs and that's just not for a select few. We can all have a part of that. He says, feed my, feed my sheep. Feeding one another in the body of Christ. Jesus also says, tend my sheep in verse 16. This is about loving, knowing, caring, doing life together with, with others, praying and encouraging, serving, watching over, caring. When we share our possessions, our time, our treasure, our talents, as we do that, it is a way that we love Jesus. When we ter- teach and we serve and we care, whether that's teaching children, holding babies, working with the youth, hosting or leading a small group, ushering, serving in, in worship and technical ministries. We serve and we comfort and we walk with one another. We give ourselves to one another. And as Jesus restores us, as we are in relationship with him daily in our God time, as he restores us, he gets us back up on our feet, not just to care for ourselves, but to tend and to care and to feed one another and listen as we stay the course as we remain faithful attending and feeding his sheep that after a lifetime and this could go on for the years that you have whether that be 3, 5, 10, 50, 30, 40, 60, 70 years no matter how old you might be after a lifetime of success and failure and love and victory and caring, and weakness, and struggle, all of it being restored and and revisited by Jesus and his power and strength in our lives. We are then blessed and empowered by him. We will die, each one of us, a glorious death, no matter what that might look like. Look at what he says to Peter in verse 18. You want to die a glorious death? I do. I don't want to die a wimpy death. I want to die a glorious death where he's there to welcome me home and to see me through to the other side. Look what he says in verse 18. Truly I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. In other words, he's saying, hey, you had these plans for your life. You knew what you were doing. You were rock solid. But later on, you're not going to have say. You're not going to say how your life is going to end. You're not going to have a say in this. Verse 19, it says, this is said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God with. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me, follow me. Peter would be crucified, as church history tells us, on a cross by the Romans because he would not deny, recant his faith in Jesus Christ. He would die, it is believed from church history, he he was crucified upside down on a cross. 
And church history tells us that all the other disciples except for John died a martyr's death. That's a glorious way to go. Dying with Jesus, whatever that might look like. And maybe the way that society is going, maybe some here today, children, teenagers, maybe even for us, it could come to the point where we would die in the public square. It's not out of the realm of impossibility. One minister said it like this a number of years ago. He said, I expect to die in bed. I expect my successor will die in prison and his successor will die a martyr in the public square and his successor will pick up the pieces of a ruined society and slowly help rebuild as the church has always done. Like Peter, we don't choose how we die. Death in many ways can seem like our final loss of control. But even in our death, we can honor him and he can be glorified. I think of a man who made a profound impact on my life about 15 years ago. He and his wife moved into the community where we are pastoring and they started attending our church and they had a resume that was almost unbelievable of the things that they had done in serving the Lord from missionaries to pastoring to him being even a chaplain at the 9-11 Ground Zero to be a, a chaplain with the Salvation Army during that time during the World Trade Centers as they were picking up the pieces. They had this crazy resume and, and, and they ended up in, our, in our, our church in this small town. And when they came in, they, they said, we're here to serve. We're here to do whatever needs to be done. But his wife did say, except in the nursery, I'm not so good with kids. It was a few weeks later, I walked by the nursery on a Sunday morning and she was there. And I said, what are you doing here? And she said, there is a need, I'm serving. And I thought, how beautiful. And that continued to mark their lives. They joined the small group that Charlotte and I were hosting. And at that time, we were doing a series on heaven. And I remember him saying, I'm not afraid of death. I'm just afraid of dying. I know where I'm going. I'm just not so excited about the way I'm going to get there. And I always thought that was kind of interesting. Well, one day I was leaving the church I was heading out to go to the library to work on my sermon that week. And I saw he was in the worship center. And I went and said, what are you doing? And he says, oh, I'm just wiping down. And, and, and we had these cloth chairs, but there was these chrome frames that were uh, on, you know, that the chairs were supported by, these chrome frames. And he said, we noticed on Sunday that so many of these chrome frames are just filled with snot and smudges and kids' snacks from church. And, and they're kind of disgusting. So we just thought we would take and we would wash them and so he was there going over there was hundreds of chairs there and this was the bucket that he was using and so he said asked how my sermon was going and and so just as I was leaving he said why don't I pray with you I said sure that would be great and so he prayed with me and I went on to work on my sermon that day the next morning they were eating breakfast planning out the day. And as she left the kitchen to go get ready and he was going to finish his cup of coffee, he went home and was with the Lord just like that. And I thought, wow, the Lord took him home in such a glorious way. You know, he, Warren preached one sermon at our church in the time that he was there. But his life before 
and even during that time that he was with us, preached volumes of messages. And the Lord granted him that, that wish, that, that desire. He was taken home suddenly. And here is one thing we can know for certain, that after a lifetime of serving Jesus, of following him, no matter how we die, whether it be suddenly, unexpectedly, in an accident, in our sleep, in prison for our faith, or slowly or painfully in a hospital bed, we can glorify God in that final moment. And he will be there after a lifetime of serving and desiring to honor and to pray and to tend and to care for the sheep of God. He will be there to welcome us home to say those words, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. And Jesus says to Peter, and to us today at the end of verse 19, here's the simple command. Here's the take home. Follow me. Follow me. He says that to Peter. He says that to us. Our death, our service for the Lord this week, and eventually and finally one day our death, will just be another step in faithfully following Jesus. Restored relationship daily with him. Restored relationship with those around us, going in his power and victory. That is glorious, powerful living, and powerful and glorious dying. Just going to ask you to bow your heads as the band comes and we get ready to worship the Lord and respond to him today. I wonder today, heads bowed wherever you are just listening, doing some examining in your own life, each one of us, who is being loved and fed and prayed for, served and strengthened for Jesus' sake through you. It's interesting, my autocorrect on my sermon changed it to the word strengthened to the word strangled. <laughs> and yet, I don't know if that was so much of a mistake because the truth is either we are feeding and tending his sheep or we are starving them not doing anything and saying, oh, I'm not really doing much, then you're starving his sheep somewhere in some way. Withholding love, withholding care, withholding service is putting others around you on a, on a starvation diet. Who is being loved and fed and prayed and served and strengthened for Jesus' sake through you? Second question, is there a failure that you need to run to Jesus about? so you can be restored. Your past does not disqualify you. Quit telling Jesus and yourself, quit telling that to yourself and quit even telling it to Jesus because he's willing to restore. He's a saving God, a restoring God. What failure do you need to take and run to him with and ask for his forgiveness and healing and cleansing? And thirdly, is there a relationship or relationships with others that need to be restored and you need to humble yourself. We take and we live out these three verses. Watch out. Watch out Kelowna, Central Okanagan. Watch out families. Watch out workplaces. Watch out neighborhoods. Watch out. Watch out. Watch out Canada. If we get hold of this truth, loving, feeding, tending, caring, serving one another in the name of Jesus and his power and strength, knowing that the failures don't mark us, but that Jesus and his his grace marks us. And then in right relationships, restored relationships with those around us, being strengthened and encouraged, we see the ripple effect 
that will affect time and eternity for Jesus' sake. And so I pray, Jesus, now, would you work in us? This week, would we have the humility and the determination to run to you, to go to others where necessary, to get involved, to roll up our sleeves and to tend and feed and care for others around us, not just our own little tight little circle of little buddies and friends that we have around us, but you call us to a larger family than that, the body of Christ, our neighbors, our co-workers, various ministries that serve and proclaim the truth of the gospel. God, would we be loving and caring and tending to the needs of those around us in your power and your strength? Would it be you working in us, not ourselves? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.